0: Wherever I went and worked, everyone would be like, Esther, why do you have to Koreanify everything? And I'm like, I just can't help it. So even when I worked at the Food Network, at Elili, and even at Lask all these other places I worked, I would take whatever ingredient was there and somehow try to recreate those Korean flavors. I love my heritage.
1: Welcome to the Meals That Made Me from First We Feast. I'm Adam Richmond, your host and resident gastronaut. The meals that we make, enjoy, and share are the heart of who we are. In this series, you'll hear from 10 guests across the culinary world sharing funny, illuminating, and touching stories prompted by their most meaningful food memories. And maybe you'll even be inspired to make a few memorable meals of your own. So let's dive in. In 1614, Dutch explorer Cornelius Jacobson May discovered a town that would later become Egg Harbor, New Jersey. 350 years later, local resident Marcel Theo Hall was born, later known as the clown prince of hip-hop Bismarck Markie, and he became a rap legend. 22 years after that, a young Korean-American woman was born in Egg Harbor, New Jersey, and she became a true food legend, and today's guest. She's a graduate of New York City's Institute of Culinary Education. She's rocked the kitchens at New York City's renowned Ilili and La Esquina. After working at the Food Network, she's appeared on shows like Beat Bobby Flay and appeared as a judge on Chopped, and even guest starred on HBO's Selena and Chef alongside Selena Gomez. She was named a Zagat 30 Under 30 in 2015, She loves disco fries. She loves ketchup. She's a badass and entrepreneur with taste buds, equal parts Ajashi and halmoni. Welcome, my yodong sang, Esther Choi.
0: Wow. You're just like a stalker now or something. Or thank you. You know, it's however, whatever you feel. Oh,
1: thank you. Okay. (laughs) No, man, it's out of respect. We have so many mutual friends, and I think we met at a Food Network event um, that... Uh, you were doing with Fat Jew, right? I remember. wasn't Wasn't he, he yeah, part of it? Yeah, That's not a pejorative. That's what he goes by. Um.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I remember. I remember that, and I remember meeting you at one of the after parties. You probably don't remember, that. Why? Though, was I
1: really in the bag? Because you
0: were, uh, I mean, you were, you know, you had a lot of people around you. You were having a good time. Like, I, I was like a nobody oh, then. Baloney. So was I, like, oh, baloney.
1: Was I uncool? Was I
0: uncool? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. No, you were You were awesome. I just remember, like, that's when I, like, actually met you oh. at one of these parties. But we were all, like, really... Like wasted, obviously.
1: <laughs> well, we're completely sober I mean, now, assuming you haven't been sampling <laughs> your own sesame oil, but let's dive in <laughs> to the meals of your childhood. I hate when people say Atlantic City, especially after doing such exhaustive research on it, but you grew up in New Jersey, daughter of Korean immigrants yes. in the Oceanside town of Egg Harbor. And now your grandmother, chung okay Yu. Mm-hmm. who lent her name to your restaurant. And Halmoni is the mandu that is on the menu. Exactly. At Halmoni mandu. Mm-hmm. She is no exception. And she played a big role in your love of food. And so in an interview, you said she finally tried your food after coming into the city <laughs> and sitting on the high stool and everything. And she had some interesting words. What did your grandmother say to you upon trying your food?
0: I specifically remember saying like, why isn't it better? <laughs> <laughs> She literally like just like on the She's like, "Oh, this needs to taste better, Esther." Like it, it was just like very blatantly clear, you know.
1: <laughs> Did she try the dumplings? That that yeah, she, bore w- she her was satisfied.
0: Title? She was satisfied with the dumplings, but you know, in terms of like the ramen and kind of the more fusion dishes, she was very mm-hmm. critical on because. It's supposed to be modernized, but also, I mean, since then, I obviously tweaked the menu many, many times, especially after her visit, <laughs> but, uh, but that's, you know, the type of like spirit and discipline that she has always taught me and probably why I am the way I am as well. I'm never satisfied. <laughs> I'm never satisfied. I'm like, it needs to be better. Like th- that's literally. Man, it's like, I'm listening yeah. to the
1: Hamilton soundtrack uh, right here. Strike me as a woman who's never been satisfied. It's just not
0: good enough. <laughs>
1: Well, I love the fact that you've also mentioned that the superstition is if you make ugly dumplings, you'll make ugly children.
0: Yeah. I mean, that was really scary for me growing up because I was terrified of having ugly I mean, I'm still terrified of having <laughs> ugly children. But it was because at a young age, it was literally engraved in my brain to like make your dumplings as nice as you can. You know, like, why not? Like, you you just got to keep practicing, get better at it. And how my parents and my grandparents taught me was your kids are going to turn out exactly what your dumplings look like, you know? Damn. Yeah. No pressure. Really harsh.
1: She's straining
0: that tofu (laughs) through the cheesecloth. Oh, my God. That's why I'm a master.
1: (laughs) There you go. But one thing that I also love is that in addition to your halmoni instilling in you and making you keenly aware of your Korean heritage, long before Rene Redzepi and all these chefs made foraging cool, I've heard you mention that your grandma would go foraging. And sometimes in people's backyards, I remember you spoke of her randomly finding kosali, which some people call bracken, some people call fiddlehead, fiddlehead ferns, I'm sure. People have seen that on restaurants that are charging 46 bucks a, a, an entree. <laughs> I am
0: so and impressed that you like know this story, by the way. 감사합니다. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's 감사합니다. But yes, that to me is like my one of my biggest child memories because we would like spend hours in this random <coughs> like field. I don't even know where it was like the in the middle of like the forest. And it would just be this insane patch of kosari which is, like, firm bracket. And nobody ate that, obviously. (laughs) I mean, nobody ate that unless you're Korean. And there were no Koreans there. So I remember her making us, like, pick the gozari for, like, hours. Really? So we would, like, stay there. Yeah, and with the sun beaming on us, and we would just, like, pick for hours and hours. And she would make us do that, me and my sister.
1: Yeah, it just- And this is the other thing that blew me away. I'm sorry to interrupt. When she couldn't find the produce in South Jersey that she wanted, correct me if I'm wrong, but she started growing her own with seeds from Korea that she would grow in her own backyard, like peppers, cucumbers,
0: herbs, is that right? Yeah, and like a huge garden, not just like a tiny garden. I'm talking like our entire crazy big back. It looked like a big farm and it was all like perilla leaves, Korean cucumbers, Korean squash, like all these ingredients that you can't really find in a regular local supermarket, especially the Korean peppers, Mm -hmm. because what she would do is dry them and then make her own kochukaru, which is the Korean chili flakes. Mm Kochukaru. And
1: so this is my question. Yes, there is a question at the end of this rainbow. So my question is, especially as a home gardener myself, what is one standout meal that you remember her generating from the Korean vegetables and herbs she planted herself?
0: The most memorable one is the gochugaru. It's like her making kimchi with the gochugaru that she made from... The garden that she grew. So most of, like, I remember more than half of the garden was perilla and Korean peppers. Korean peppers was a big one because she would, you know, make her own ingredients with it. So she would make gochujang Uh and she would make kimchi with the gochugaru that she made from these chili peppers. I mean, to think of it now in modern day, it's like, that's insane. You know what I mean?
1: Can you break down? Because one of the things that you really have talked about so much is the making of the kimchi. And I think that a lot of people take for granted that you could just go buy it in a jar, go to your local H Mart, buy mother-in-law's kimchi. But you were there right where the rubber meets the road. And this shows all about those delicious details that I know is kind of your stock and trade. It's Mm -hmm. kind of that exacting element of perfection that makes you strain the zucchini and the tofu and make sure there's no water in Mm -hmm. it and so on. So can you break down like that moment where all these ingredients becomes this iconic kimchi that your grandma made of course so cuz i don't know the process apart from burying it
0: <laughs> oh she didn't bury it that was one thing that you know we didn't do i think that was a little bit too much <laughs> too much we had the kimchi fridge though which is very important you had a special kimchi fridge oh my gosh and nowadays in most modern korean homes it's like you have a kimchi fridge i don't know any like korean family that doesn't have a kimchi fridge nowadays. It's like that, like specialized now. Just because the kimchi like lasts a lot longer in the fridge, it's like, it's kept at a certain temperature. So it doesn't like over ferment. So obviously growing our own Napa cabbage. Napa cabbage is the most traditional form of kimchi that you'll find. So she grew her own Napa cabbage and her own Korean mu, which is daikon or radish. And then the most important thing was the Korean chili peppers, which she grew. It turns red after a while. So it's it's green, starts green, obviously it turns red to get like spicy. And then you harvest them and then you dry it in the sun. And then you grind it up to become a gochugaru, which is the Korean chili flakes. Mm -hmm. And now that is kind of the heart of really beautiful kimchi. Mm -hmm. That's mixed with like fish sauce and then like a rice paste and then obviously every family has their own recipe, but my grandma specifically used four different types of fish sauce for her recipe. What? Yeah, she was like very particular.
1: What would be the difference between
0: the four? It's like a different nuance of saltiness. So like there would be the salted shrimp, which is a different type of saltiness than the anchovy and and then, then the fish is a little bit different and then the crab they all taste a little bit different and the blend of them all is what makes her kimchi her kimchi and so yeah she would put like fresh seafood in there too i know specifically she loved adding fresh shrimp and she would grind that up and add it to the paste then garlic ginger all of the kind of classic korean spices that she would add in there and then she would make this like beautiful kimchi paste but really the heart of it and the, what's really special is the kochukaru. Really, like really great kochukaru makes really really great kimchi. Now,
1: speaking of mentors, this blew me away. You started selling candy on
0: the bus because you stray hustling. I was like five, and like six years old or something, and really, mm-hmm. what were you pulling down? I honestly, I don't remember. I like spending money. I like probably bought clothes, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I just like like the idea of like making a profit on something.
1: I love that you said that, you know, you always wanted to have your own spending money. You've been working since you're about 14. Um, Your folks had a restaurant, right? Your folks had like a breakfast spot?
0: So that was when I was in college. Uh, My parents were always small business owners. They had dry cleaners growing up. And then when I was in college, they sold the dry cleaning business and they were like, oh, what should we do next? And then they ended up buying very randomly a breakfast diner. It was their first, like, restaurant business, like, food type of business ever.
1: Do you think that that entrepreneurial sort of fire you have, that little kick in the ass you always give yourself, is that from your folks? Do you think?
0: Definitely. Oh, 1,000%. I mean, my mom started taking me to the dry cleaners, like, since I was pretty much, like, born. I mean, my entire, like, young childhood, I remember my parents at, like, when I was, like, three, I would be, like, stapling the the tickets onto the clothes, you know? I would sit on the counters, I would interact with the customers, and it was just a big part of, like, going—like, when other kids went to school, I went to— the my parents' business with them, you know? Like, it it was just, it was just a thing. I would always sit there and do all the tagging. And I really liked it, you know? I loved going to the store with my parents.
1: That's tremendous. So this is also really cool. You apparently spent some of your elementary school years in South Korea. And I, I love what you said about, like, dealing with ESL and you're like, dude, I'm just shy. I speak perfectly good English, like yeah. <laughs> chill, chill. But now I want to talk to you about the meals of your mentors. Specifically, I want to ask you about how the mentorship and the mentoring in the restaurants that you worked in both inspired and instilled in you a sense of what ingredients you could incorporate into your own flavor profile. You know, you were working double shifts in restaurants, apparently up to 100 hours a week. And then, you know, we mentioned you went to ICE, started working at Alili at La Esquina. By the way, I hope you got enough juice to get your boy a table because (laughs) if those of you who don't know, there's a hidden dining room within the dining room and it's totally dope. It's like down in the village. It's incredibly cool. But one thing that I really love is that apparently wherever you went, you put a Korean spin Kind of on everything. And much like your grandmother, if the Korean flavors didn't exist, you made sure you had them, even if it meant creating them yourself. Correct me if I'm wrong, you just kind of had to utilize whatever ingredients you had around you, right? Could you tell me a little about that?
0: Wherever I went and worked, everyone would be like, Esther, why do you have to have the need to Koreanify everything? And I'm like, I just just can't help it. I can't help myself. So even when I worked at the Food Network, even at Illili and even at Las you know, all these other places I worked, I would take whatever ingredient was there, which obviously at Illy was like very like Lebanese ingredients like harissa things like that and I would try to think okay like what does harissa remind me of it kind of reminds me of like gochujang or like something similar to that so I would take that and somehow try to recreate those Korean flavors same with La Esquina, my favorite thing that I made there was Mexican kimchi so I took like the dried chipotle chilies dried guajillo and I would re-soak them and then make my own like kimchi paste with the chipotle chilies because I didn't have like goch- Oh, sick. Yeah. I mean, I could get gochugaru and stuff, but I kind of felt like, oh, it would be so cool to use these like Mexican chilies to try to like replicate this similar flavor profile and make like a Mexican style kimchi. And that was really awesome. And I made like a green kimchi with like cilantro. I would just like try to be creative and think outside the box. But of course, I, I love my heritage and I love cooking Korean food. And I like teaching people about what Korean flavors are and techniques really too.
1: You're obviously this profoundly successful entrepreneur. You've been an entrepreneur from an early age, selling candy, working double shifts. And when you open Bar, it's the first time you transitioned to being business owner and you mentally had to shift to a little bit of that front of house brain. So in this section, I actually wanna focus on your menu and what you've showcased that absolutely stood out. I wanna talk about the meals of your biggest moments. Now you've been very vocal about how heartbreaking it is to have to remove dishes that you love. I remember mm-hmm. there was a dish you had created with various kinds of caviar that you loved and you had to ditch it. And you mentioned how much you love. Is it sunde? Is the blood sausage? Sunde,
0: sa- oh, my favorite. Yeah, sundae. And so
1: it's a blood sausage that has glass noodles in it mm-hmm. and all kinds of other deliciousness. So you open mock bar. At Chelsea market and I know it was inspired by like Korean street food but I want to know is there a specific menu item you knew it had to be on there because you knew it was a bestseller I'm gonna guess it was the jung, the yeah. candy coated Korean right. fried chicken uh-huh. is that the one that you had to have on there because you knew it would be a bestseller
0: You nailed it. I mean, it it started as that. But even the dakgangjong, I had to make it like super complicated because I wanted to be different. Because my chef brain is like, okay, fine. We'll put stupid popcorn chicken on the menu. But we're going to make it the most difficult <laughs> popcorn chicken that you can ever make. We like <laughs> cooked rice, dehydrated it, then fried it, then coated the chicken with it. And I made like a completely gluten-free popcorn chicken, which was the takangdong. And I love- With pistachios I love on it. T- yeah, with pistachio. I love that dish so much, but we had to take it off the menu because my, my chef was like, this is ridiculous, Esther. Like it takes like five days to make this. <laughs> and it's like, compared to the work you put into it, it just wasn't worth all the all the hassle. So, you know, I changed it to Korean fried chicken wings. I, I'm rolling my eyes. I know everyone loves Korean fried chicken, but like that was like the one menu item that I really didn't want to put on the menu. I feel you. You know, but you just got to do it. And obviously everyone really loves our Korean fried chicken. I get it. You know, it's like kind of sad that you have to kind of do these things to cater to your guests, but it's like what they want and they love it so much. So like, you know, how could I be like, we're not doing this right. item? You know, it's hospitality in the end.
1: hundred percent. Mm. I mean, restaurants operate on these razor thin margins anyway. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're trying to make a dollar and a cent in this business. You know, they say it's not show art, it's show business. But before your career in food, you were in pharmacy school for two years, which you entered because of your parents, but you knew early on that was not where you wanted to be, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I knew right away. I was like, "No, I can't. This is not for me." Um, so uh, it's kind of like trying it, making the decision, and knowing if it's for you and or not, and deciding what fits your personality best. Without experience, you can't really do that. So
1: well, no, and I love that you mentioned that because you talk about cooking with your whole heart. The expression in Korean is 정성. This is after all about the meals that made you. So I want to ask, is there a meal that you ate or cooked that inspired that aha moment for you that made you realize pharmacy school was not your path, but rather food was your path because you wanted to share that meal or that type of experience with the world? Was there something you ate or something you made that you were like, yeah, this is the vibe. This is the wave. This is where I'm meant to be.
0: It's like really hard to say that it came from one specific meal. I think it was like the entire... Kind of like way of Korean cooking and Korean techniques and also kind of the philosophy of cooking that I grew up with with my grandmother and how she cooked and and that is what I think really captivated me and wanted me to kind of share that experience because I feel like eating food even if it's just a specific dish it's about the kind of the experience around eating it right like even if it's like one dish it's like who are you sharing that dish with changes the taste of that food Mm -hmm. I mean I have one very specific dish that I I'm obsessed with and it's like my death row meal and it always will be. What is it? And it's kimchi jjigae, which is a kimchi stew. Mm -hmm. And it's probably the most like peasant, homey, like very simple dish ever. It's like five ingredients.
1: Break it down for us those five ingredients and how they coalesce into kimchi jjigae.
0: So it's obviously kimchi jjigae, the heart of it is kimchi. And you know how obsessed I am with kimchi. So obviously kimchi stew being my favorite kind of makes sense. So it has to start with really, really good quality kimchi because the kimchi jjigae will only be as good as your kimchi. Mm -hmm. And then it has some sort of like protein in it. I like pork with kimchi jjigae, but obviously canned tuna is great. Spam is a common one. Even a vegetarian like tofu is great or mushrooms but so you start out with like sautéing you know the protein with some garlic and some butter and then you add the kimchi and then really really good quality water like filtered water because water is also a main ingredient in it and literally that's it that's it. Like you add maybe a tiny bit of fish sauce or MSG or whatever. It depends on what your palate is, obviously. And then you just like boil it for five to 10 minutes. And that's literally the dish. It's that simple. My mom made this for me pretty much like every week growing up. And it always came from my harmony's kimchi. So for me, this is like so comforting and when I share kimchi jjigae with a friend or even eat it by myself after traveling for weeks, mm-hmm. like this is like the one dish that literally like warms my soul. and makes me feel like so comforted. It's kind of like that Ratatouille moment. And <laughs> I'm sure everyone has this, you know, that, you know, you eat it and then you're just all of a sudden brought back to being like a child again, you know? Is it on the
1: menu at Mokbar? The kimchi jjigae?
0: So we do a version of that because we're a noodle shop. I made a kimchi jjigae uh, ramen.
1: But you use the braised pork. And you use a kimchi mm-hmm. bacon broth, right?
0: Yes, kimchi bacon broth, Oof. braised pork. That kimchi ramen is like my soul. Like that's what I eat at Mokbar every time I'm there. They
1: say it's a bad chef that won't lick their own fingers. That's what you go for.
0: That's has been my favorite thing on the menu since I've opened. And it was the first thing that... That I knew I wanted on the menu.
1: I love that. Because
0: it's kimchi jjigae. It's that in with noodles. So. And
1: that's beautiful. And this really brings us to the meals of your future, and I suppose the future of the food industry as well. Oh. You're going back to the garden state, the land that made you made Judy Ju too. You're both, you know, the Jersey girls made good. Yeah, Jersey. And I have to ask, you've both made versions of disco fries, you know, Korean. Influence Disco Fries, and you've been very open about, look, they're good because there's rigorous testing, there's rigorous, you know, there's multiple versions of it. Mm -hmm. Is there a menu item that you know you have to add that speaks to New Jersey customers or is a wink to your childhood?
0: I mean, I think that you just said that, disco fries. Like, I remember that was one of, like, the first items that I added to the menu because literally every time I went to a diner in Jersey, which was pretty damn often, I mean, I went to Rutgers, you know, I went to a diner every night. Like, that was, like, my dish. Everyone knew. It's like, Esther wants disco fries. Like, that's her thing. I am obsessed with disco fries. I mean, it's so good.
1: So for those of you who don't know, it's french fries gravy, whatever gravy they have, and yellow American cheese. Mm -hmm. So it's like our poutine, right? Right. And how do you make it? How do you koreify it?
0: So the gravy was made with the ramen broth. And that was like very special because- The kimchi ramen broth? Not the kimchi ramen broth. It was just our pork broth. And it's our uh, 48 hour broth that kind of is the base for most of our ramens. And we made a gravy out of that ramen broth, and then, you know, added like two types of cheese, mozzarella and cheddar. And of course, sautéed kimchi on top. That was our disco fries. Yeah.
1: Amazing. So we're going to wrap it up a little bit. We always like to leave the listeners a little bit of a rapid fire segment where you answer a few questions telling us your favorite blank of all time. And then I add one question at the very end that's just custom for that guest. So. Oh, God. Okay. <clears> okay. <throat> Are you ready, my sis? Gosh. Okay, let's do it. Let's go. Best pizza topping?
0: Pepperoni. All right. Best vegetable to eat raw? Cauliflower. Oh
1: God. <laughs> Favorite cookbook of all time?
0: It's like a Korean cookbook. It's called Kungjung Yori, which is like the ancient, like, royal cuisine cookbook. That's awesome. Yeah, it's like very old school. Yeah. Favorite condiment? Hellman's mayo Wow okay Yeah <laughs> you're, you're judging
1: me <laughs> No 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 Just didn't see it coming I thought I think this is going to be The answer to the next question You were going to say ketchup I was going to say What's the best dip For french fries I mean ketchup
0: Yeah I I, I love ketchup But I, I, Hellman's mayo Ah, oh, Love it I mean I'm so from good. South Jersey What do you want from me
1: I'm from Brooklyn Come at me bro <laughs> Favorite fast food item Big Mac Wow, okay, mm-hmm. savage. Mm-hmm. Favorite kitchen appliance?
0: Oh, rice cooker, rice cooker.
1: What is the favorite song you like to
0: cook to? I love listening to Billie Holiday when I cook. What song? I'll Be Seeing You by Billie Holiday.
1: I'll Be Seeing You by Billie mm-hmm. Holiday. Excellent mm-hmm. choice. Okay, so this is the special S Choi question. Here it is. We're doing this interview in 2022 when Squid Games has dominated everyone's television screens. White, Latin, and African-American people are phonetically learning the words to BTS and Blackpink songs. The rapper Lil Uzi Vert is very vocal on social media about how much he loves the K-pop band Girlfriend. So amidst this worldwide love affair with Korea and Korean culture, what is one thing? That you wish non-Korean people would embrace about Korean food or one mistake you wish they would stop making?
0: Okay. One thing that I would really want people to embrace is Koreans, especially when you eat in Korea, a lot of the eating culture is like live to table. And I mean, when you eat like the freshest thing, it's it's moving, it's alive, I mean it's cooked right then and there. And we do that everywhere. I mean, we're chefs. Right? I mean, it's just like, yeah, everything has to be killed. To eat, right? Well, maybe not everything, Mm -hmm. but that was one thing that I'm always like kind of confused about. It's just like our culture. Like we eat live octopus, we cook things while it's alive and then we eat it right away. And that's like the freshest form that you can eat. And this is how we've been eating for thousands and thousands of years. It's just our culture. It's our custom. So I just like think that hate around that saying it's like animal cruelty is a little bit too much. You know, I, I understand that. I understand where people are coming from. But it's also like, yo, know, this is our culture. This is how we eat, you know.
1: Esther Choi, <laughs> you're a rock star for giving us all this time. Thank you so much for joining us. You are the absolute best.
0: Adam, thank you for having me And thank you for being so thorough I'm really impressed by your research Thank you, thank Must you Must say, oh, there's a lot of things online, I realized.
1: <laughs> yeah, but look, this woman has no Wikipedia page I'm fairly certain she is like a government operative We're going to get to this Because I want her to get a chance to like plug her social So I'm going to wrap this up And say thank you again for joining us For the meals that made me To everyone listening We hope you enjoy this incredible career-spanning interview With Esther Choi And that you are inspired to dive deeper into the meals of your childhood, your mentors, your travels, and the meals that continue to take you places now and into the future. Any upcoming cool stuff you want to plug, Esther? Where could the people find you online, on social? Let them know.
0: You can find me at toy Bites and my restaurants, Mock Bar, and Miss You, of course.
1: Join us next time when I talk with the legends from the iconic New York-based collective, Ghetto Gastro about their message, Bronx to the World and the World to the Bronx, the Wavy Waffle, and their brand new cookbook. I want to say thank you again to everybody for listening and for continuing to subscribe to the meals that made me from First We Feast. Eat well, chow down, eat mightily, chew carefully. This podcast is produced by First We Feast in collaboration with Complex Networks. Our host is me, Adam Richmond. Our executive producers are Chris Schoenberger, Nicola Lynch, and Justin Bolas. Our head of podcast production is Jen Stewart. Our supervising producer is Shiva Bayat. Our senior producer is Jocelyn Aram. Our associate producers are Nina Pollock and Catherine Hernandez. Our production managers are Shamara Rochester and Natasha Bennett. Our recording engineer and sound designer is Andrew Guastella. Thanks to the team at BuzzFeed. For more, first we feast content, head to youtube.com/slash first we feast or at first we feast on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. If you enjoy these interviews and you want to hear more, then please drop a five star review, and we. We'll see you next time on The Meals That Made Me.